Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. The podcast where we talk about two movies every week. Um, I'm your host, my name is Matthew, and with me, uh, as is standard, is Simon. Please say hello, Simon. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking about Jeff Bridges. Sorry. as, as <laughs> Just like... That has nothing to do with anything we've already been talking about for the past like, no, twenty five minutes. But I, I was thinking your your um, your Tron related intro, which I enjoy very much. Week, uh, I, I enjoyed very very much. Um, reminded me this week of Jeff Bridges was was on a roundtable with a bunch of people, including Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal was talking about. Um, Oh, the last I, of us, uh, yeah. I, I, I never played the game before, and he's like, "Oh, what, ga- what game? I can't. <laughs> Jeff Bridges sounds terrible. What game is it?" And he's like, "Oh, it's, it's the Last of Us." And uh, he's like, oh, "I, I never played it, but I did get sucked into a game once." And Pedro Pascal's like, "Oh, which game?" He's like, "Tron." <laughs> and no, it's the best. Like the timing of that joke is perfect, and nobody fucking gets it. Pedro Pascal's like, oh yeah, that's the first like video game adaptation. I'm like, dude, <laughs> he just made the perfect joke on the spot, <laughs> and you need to pay Jeff Bridges a bit more respect. So I felt so. So I was just chuckling in my mind while you were doing your co-host introduction, which I'm grateful for. Hello, welcome, thank you for coming back. I was just chuckling in my head about how perfect Jeff Bridges is, just generally speaking. I mean, I think that that is a... I think it was a Hollywood Reporter Actors Roundtable. Um, I, I don't know. This, anyway, some uh, actors. Maybe it was... T, I think it was THR. But um, I think also... I think probably speaking, he's the oldest person at that table. And I think maybe most of it... Like, I think the next youngest person is at the, in that discussion is Michael Imperioli. And I think Michael Imperioli is probably only a little bit older than us. So what I'm trying to say is that most of the people at that table either uh, are too young or were removed from the cultural context to understand what Tron actually was. No, I refuse that. Like, you don't you know, have yeah, to be of an age to know what Tron is. Even my kid knows what Tron is. I mean, you say that, but I know I know children who don't know what Top Gun is, So, uh, which is a much bigger thing. So uh, the, the, the failure is with the parents. So, I mean, uh, isn't that always the case? Yes, that's always the case. Yeah, yeah it's always, always the case. Absolutely. The Im- the improper media education of children is always felt to the parents. I still uh, haven't. I've taken my kids to a lot of movies, and I'm still yet to see them react to any movie the way they reacted to uh, Tom Cruise firing his photon torpedo into the not Iranian uh, base in Top Gun Maverick. Uh, where they they did the full classic stand up arms in the air whooping, which was kind of great to be fair. Um, but I mean, um, that's because that. that's a that's a perfect moment in a perfect movie. It probably is. Like that movie is perfectly constructed. So, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of amazing that it wasn't my favorite film of the year. It was just one of my favorite films of the year. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I mean, as a movie, I, I would rather watch Ambulance again instead of Top Gun Maverick, but that's just a personal preference. But you're right. It's the most impressive thing about Maverick is that they you know, that could have easily been a low effort uh, cash in. Like people would have spent money to watch Tom Cruise pop up in like a cameo role, training the new guys in CG dogfights, 
everyone went going, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's just a Top Gun sequel. It's made bank. That's fine. It's Tom Cruise. But they put like so much care and attention into it. And I'm sure a lot of that is Cruise. Brilliantly directed by Tron Uprising. Uh, no, Tron Legacy director, Joseph. You're going to say the last name for me. Kaczynski. Thank you. Um, and uh, so much, like hundreds of hours of actual real life dogfighting that must have been infinitely more expensive than just mocking it up on a green screen. And um, and then they cut together or they, they basically shot as much as they could and then uh, used what they needed to to tell the story that they needed to tell. And I love that. And there's so I much... Mean- there's so much love in that film, and it really comes across. I mean, my favorite thing about it is that in a lot of the shots where the other pilots have their, like, point of view, like, the camera's right on their face as they're, as they're piloting a, a fighter jet, is that they were in the back se- backseat of an actual fighter jet doing these complicated maneuvers, uh, which is not my favorite part of this. My favorite part of this is that a lot of the time, apparently, Tom Cruise was just flying the fighter jets. Because, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, you know, cool. like... Tom Cruise is 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 a crazy a crazy person who is part of a cult um, who is dedicated to entertaining the shit out of us. And I, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I have difficulty reconciling those two things because the cult he's a member of it can is quite damaging. Um, but also, yeah. he cares about movies in a way that I think not. I don't. I don't want to say that nobody cares about movies the way he does because I'm sure they are. But he cares about them in a very distinct way that I feel like a lot of filmmakers do not anymore. When you've got someone like Steven Spielberg going up to Tom Cruise uh, a couple of months ago and saying to him, and he didn't know he had a hot mic, so he wasn't doing it for attention. Uh, Thank you for Maverick. You saved the movie industry. You saved Mm -hmm. theatrical releases with Maverick. Like we, we love that film and we recognize it. But when you've got someone of Spielberg's stature who recognized it too, I think you're right. I think that Cruise has a, a lot of, obviously a lot of issues, but, um, his love for movies is very almost old fashioned now, isn't it? And the great thing is someone described him once as the, it might be Q, I don't know, the, the world's best trained stuntman. Oh yeah, that was me. Got, because, <laughs> well, it's interesting because other stuntmen don't have the, the, the financial ability or the opportunity to learn all this shit. You hire the different specialists for the different things, but Tom Cruise now has the money and the arrogance to go, no, no, you're not going to hire a helicopter pilot, you're going to hire someone to train me to be the pilot and it's going to take an extra eight months, but I'll finance it all and and I'll do it. And and at least wonderful stories like in England, he was filming or it might have been a Mission Impossible. It was something with a helicopter and the helicopter had a technical fault. So he landed it in some person's back garden in Sussex and all the kids came out and he's like, hi, I'm Tom Cruise, I'm making a movie. Sorry, we had to land the helicopter here. And he's like, the car pulled up outside because it had been waiting for him to come down. He's like, and just before he got in the car, he's like to the pilot, uh, once you fix this, take the family out all day, like tours all day in the helicopter and I'll pay for it. And he paid for that family to go out in the helicopter and do flybys of Sussex for the rest of the day on his own bank and while he was in the second helicopter. And it's just like, capitalism is a terrible thing, but at least he he's a demonstration of what you can do with a little bit of money and a little bit of focus it's uh is put yourself in the position where you learn all these things and become all these things and also he he does do a lot for his cast and crew as well and he does do a lot of philanthropy i mean again he's he's definitely in a cult but also like 
every story I've ever heard of him is he's incredibly generous of spirits. Yeah. And yeah. I, I heard once that on a set, I can't remember what set it was, but I remember being told that on one set, the crew was not allowed to speak to him in the mornings. And that was not because he was some prima donna. It was because if someone engaged him on his way to set, he wouldn't make it to set because he would stay and talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, so yeah, he seems like he's probably a really nice guy. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's some, I mean, Nicole Kidman didn't divorce him for nothing and he's in a cult, yeah. so it can't, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but at least when oh, it comes to making movies, he's, uh, he seems like a pretty genuine dude. Yeah, it is. He's one of those people that I think it's very telling that everyone who works with him, especially the cast and crew, uh, are absolutely glowing. And even when there was, um, during COVID, he was filming the two Mission Impossible. There's a video, uh, an audio got leaked of him shouting at everyone because someone took their mask off. But even it was so different from when um, uh, you know, Christian Bell did it in Terminator Salvation, and he his was really bitter about putting him off his flow and everything. And Cruz was like, "All these people got to work. Don't you dare jeopardize these people's livelihood just because you take a mask off." So mm-hmm. even that is like. Even when he's angry, he's thinking of other people. I kind of, I really, really respect that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nothing at all like the film or movie we're about to, yeah. or movie star afraid, we're about to yes. talk, talk about. Yeah. But Tom Cruise, <laughs> I mean, again, we don't know Tom Cruise, and I hope that everything I've heard about him is true, except for the cult stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, that's definitely true. It's all, that's all true. Yeah. I just, you know, I, the, I've heard, heard that like he definitely benefits from like exploitative practices of the cult, or ha- at least has in the past, but probably still does. And um, if David Miskovich is listening, where's your wife, David? Where's Shelley? Where's your wife? You creepy, creepy fuck. Um, anyway, I don't uh, know what that is. <laughs> uh, David, David Miskovich is the head of Scientology, and his wife, uh-huh. Shelley, has not been seen in public since 2006. Okay. Like, has not, she... had, there's, like, no one knows. She's, no one, no one off the compound has seen her in 15 years. More than 15 years. Okay. So there's, there's... That's... It's like a it's like a big mystery about like where where is she because no one can no one will talk about her no one anything she's just disappeared. <laughs> okay. And and David Miskovich I believe uh, is good friends with Tom Cruise, or at least was. You know, there's a there's a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, anyway, so so Scientology. <laughs> uh, maybe Zandu came and got her, or whatever uh, the, uh, the, the super person's meant to be. I think it's Xenu, actually, but yes, uh, maybe. I've never seen I've never seen Battle, Battlefield or Battleship Earth or whatever it's called with John Travolta. Should I? No. Okay. No. Yeah. It, no. Nope. I mean, it is bad. It's just bad. <laughs> I remember watching yeah. it a, a number of years ago and, and thinking there was a couple things that were at least interesting, but it's not enough to to say you should watch it. Unlike okay. unless you're Unless you're looking to watch bad movies, I just, which honestly I get, I totally get why I, I, in, in some ways I enjoy watching bad movies because it's watching stuff that doesn't work 
really makes it clear what what does work and when films do what what works it it again that juxtaposition is is Absolutely. interesting yeah. um which is an, another great segue towards the film we're about to talk it about it really is it's but um but like battlefield earth is just so bad like just so in it's just i i can't even it's been too long since i've seen it to cogently speak about it but it's not a good movie and uh you know, but at least as Barry Pepper in the lead, he's he's a good person, so that's something. <laughs> okay. Oh, and, that's anyway, so so let's let's awkwardly turn uh, turn our attention to our first film, which is the newly released to streaming. Uh, that's Crave here in Canada, and I'm sorry, I don't know what it's on in the states. But Shazam: Fury of the Gods, uh, the sequel to I thought the quite good Shazam from a few years ago. Um, is finally out, and so we got to catch up with it. Uh, we're a little bit late to the party, and I'm frankly sorry we arrived. But anyway... <laughs> uh, if only we hadn't got the invitation. That's that's my takeaway from this. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. So, the film is set four years after the first one, which I think is accurate. I think the first one came out in 2019. Um, so yeah, four years later. Um, Shazam and, and, and the whole family are all still super powered. All the kids are super powered. They've been trying to, trying to be heroes, but they are bad at it. They cause as much destruction as they, as they stop. Um, and Billy, uh, who is also Shazam is worried. He's about to age out of the foster system and his elder sister is about to go away to college or wishes she had gone away to college and, uh, Freddy, um, his younger brother, who is probably his best friend, is trying to like fly on his own a little bit, and Billy's holding on really tight to not let any of this stuff happen. Um, and then uh, Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu show up, and they are the daughters of Atlas. It's Atlas, right? Um, yeah. And they've come to like reclaim the power of the gods from uh, from the Shazam family. I think it's I don't know. I watched this movie a couple days ago. And I don't really remember the details. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, because uh, it's not very good. Uh, anyway, they fight. They fight Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu, and Rachel Ziegler is there. Ziegler, Ziegler, and um, uh, yeah. and there's a lesson that's very awkwardly learned at the end. And uh, then the movie stops, and everyone is happier for it. Um, this is a bad movie. It's not a very good movie. I don't. I like it's it's such it's so frustrating because a lot of the pieces are there for it i think i've said this a million times before but there are a lot of pieces there that would should make it a good movie uh and absolutely none of them come together in a meaningful way for it to be good you know um oh okay. and i think and i think what's probably most frustrating is that so Zachary Levi, who is it Levi or Levy? Whatever, doesn't matter. Um, I mean, it does matter, but not for right now. Anyway, he, um, I quite liked him in the first one, and I don't generally like him. He does. He typically has that sort of an air of smugness about him that I kind of find off-putting. And in this film, it's back in full force and dialed up to about thirteen, and everything he says is. Every joke he tries to deliver is super cringy, and he 
him and the young actor who play like the kid version uh, of Billy Batson, uh, whose name is Asher Angel, I think. Um, there's like no attempt for them to like match mannerisms. There's no attempt for them to like match their performance to make it clear they're playing the same character. And even if you wanted to argue that that he was playing like a more sort of like trumped up version of the character trying to like overcompensate, it still wouldn't work because it's dialed up so high and it's so inappropriately horny. And, and, and on the other side of it, like, sure, that it's, it's a big problem when your lead is not good. Um, but as long as you have a good, you know, villain, uh, you can sort of salvage a movie a lot of the time. And Helen Mirren, I thought was actually pretty good in this movie. And Lucy Liu is, weirdly wooden and flat and really trying to do arch in a way that didn't work for me. Um, and, and one of those two turns out to be the main villain, just as a spoiler alert. And I really just couldn't care less because she's trying to do so much with so little, but there's not enough there for her to do anything with. And so just none of it works. And then you could also still save a movie by having a good supporting cast. And this movie actually does have that. Um, I thought that, all of the kids were uh, very good. Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Freddy in particular, I thought was great. And him and Adam Brody do a really good job of matching their performance to be one character. Um, and I thought Rachel Ziegler was good as uh, the sort of, I don't want to spoil what she is in the story, but she's quite good. Um, and I also thought that the parents were quite, were excellent. I thought in particular, um, Marta Milans was really great as the mom. She probably is the closest connection to Billy. Um, Cause you know, he has mommy issues, which at least is refreshing for most superheroes who have daddy issues. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Grace Caroline Curry, who gets to play both versions of the younger and the, of the kid version and the full blown superhero version of uh I can't remember what her character's called. It's like Lady Shazam, Ms. Mary, Mar Mary, Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel, yeah. And Megan Good, who is 41, apparently, which, Jesus Christ. Um, and the young girl, Faith Herman, who play the youngest version, Darla Dudley, um, uh, are, are both great. Playing the character exactly like you would play. Like, it, it might as well be the same actress, almost. But none of it, none of it is enough to save the film from the main performances being terrible and from the monsters at the end being super generic and bad and just the film being completely uninspired. There's nothing interesting happening in this film. And I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but it's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. I mean, it's, it's a disappointingly bad movie. I don't know. I, I know just, you you, I, I, you, you I, hated it. You hated it more than I do. So why don't you go for a so while? I'm not sure. I don't disagree with anything you said. I think this film is fascinatingly bad, and not not bad in a way that Black Adam is bad. The one positive thing I'm going to say about this movie, aside from some supporting cast, is that it's better than Black Adam because I don't think you've seen Black Adam, but Black Adam is one star bad because it is the most rote, straightforward, creatively uh, defunct. Uh, superhero movie that's driven by pure ego and has uh, like between these two movies has self-imploded whatever was left of the, the Snyderverse 
Well, but, so hang on a second. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna interrupt you and say that this movie is definitely that too, except for that Levi does not have the ego to pull that off in the same way that The Rock does. Well, I, that's exactly the point I was getting to. Both of these movies are completely, completely crippled. I think I have a theory that Levi's ego ruined this movie single-handedly because the, I, you definitely like the first Shazam more than I did. But the interesting, the good thing about the first Shazam, even though it was weirdly violent like this one is, but um, I liked how you had a goofy bunch of kids, basically one goofy kid, because the rest of the kids don't Shazam until the end. Spoiler. But um, there was a lot more Asher Angel kind of getting his head around not just the, the whole Shazam mythical aspect, but the fact that he's a kid in a foster system and he's uh, he's been through so many homes now because he can't find a home and he's got all these issues. And it's a really interesting kind of almost i don't want to say it's not up to the quality but that kind of amblin idea of kids with issues uh working out their issues with other kids you know that nice ensemble ensemble stranger things thing it's it's a fun it's a fine movie like it's totally fine and um when he does turn into adult shazam into zachary uh levi i'm gonna say levi even if it's levi it's levi um it's done sparingly and it's still kind of awkward and so I think that's why it works so well, because I, I wouldn't consider Zachary Levi to be a major part of the first Shazam, really. Um, it's really the kid's show. The second one is fascinating because it should be in every filmmaking and scriptwriting textbook of uh, mistakes, of the uh, creative mistakes. It is a unending, uh, an unending list of terrible creative decisions. This movie is, just blows me away with the direction and the scripting and the, the, the narrative plotting. It's like every couple of minutes they do something that's a bad idea and it's fascinating to me because the supporting cast is lovely. I think Grace Caroline Curry, I still don't understand why she's the only one who is the same as a kid as she when she's a superhero, maybe because she looks absolutely spectacular in the Shazam suit. But so there's, got- there's, there's two reasons for that, actually. Um, one is that the story is that she, as the only one who's an actual adult, like she's she's meant to be like twenty or something in the in this oh. movie, um, like she's missing out on college, right? She's staying home, missing out on college. Try she's lamenting not being able to do adult things because she is an adult, and so because she's an adult, she stays an adult when she changes into her Shazam form. Uh, and the other reason is that she is a little bit famous and incredibly good looking. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so, so that one I believe. So those so, those are the reasons. So what's interesting to me about the the rest of the cast is that you can see the difference it makes when the adult actors and the child actors actually, or really the adult actors, it's their responsibility to pair their performance with the children that they still are inside. And I think Megan Good does this really, really nuanced. Uh, it's childlike without being infantile um, portrayal of her when superhero Dala is basically still the kid. Even Grace Grace Caroline Curry, who doesn't transform, she still manages makes sure that her character has a through line. And I thought Jack Dylan Grazer's um, combination with um, Adam Brody that you mentioned earlier really shows the work they put in. And in contrast, again, Levi has done 
no work whatsoever to try and match his performance to Asher Angel. When Asher Angel was a kid, he's kind of awkward, he's kind of quiet, he's kind of shy, he doesn't do any kind of cocky responses, and um, Shazam may as well be a completely different character. And the the... I had to watch this movie in installments because there was only so much I could take of Zachary, <laughs> Zachary Levi Pixar acting his way through scenes, like m- just mugging constantly, even during the scenes with tension, the scenes with emotion, and when the rest of the cast are actually trying to like have an emotional response to the performance, he's just fucking Pixaring, like the crooked eyebrow smiling. Uh, just awful on a really he's truly awful in this movie and the the everything that's come out after this movie so it came out at the same time as John Wick 4 he went on Instagram live and basically slagged off John Wick 4 and said this movie is a much better family movie by the way this is a fucking terrible family movie made by people who don't understand what a good family movie is including the part where they make uh, an adult walk off the top of a building slowly and after you hear his very uh, audible impact another character mentions that he popped like a grape like this is not a family movie and his ego the way he has talked about this film he's talked about uh, he's been the first to bitch about how they weren't allowed this cameo and Dwayne Johnson blocked that cameo and between him and Johnson and the war of the egos I'm, I'm not sad that this whole thing's imploded I mean, Johnson Johnson can carry it off, but Levi's just got nothing. He's got no screen presence at all. He's got a terrible acting style. And this, I wonder, when I was watching this, because you mentioned it before I started watching, that the, the why, why don't the kids have more in this? And there's oh, yeah, one the, scene. The balance is scene, totally off. There's one scene where Grace is talking to him about his worries about aging out and she's leaving and don't worry, your mum left. And it's him, it's Zachary Levi in this scene when it should be like, I've got a theory these scenes were written for the kids and he was like, no, I need more screen time. And he, his perception of himself as a DC superstar is so apparent on the screen. It's so much ego. And when he has his hero like moment at the end, it's just, I've, this, this film is just a series of embarrassments and he's at the top of that pyramid. And honestly, the last 10 minutes when there's a star cameo and the, uh, the horniness you mentioned comes back in full force. And then there's a post credit scene. Just, I wasn't aware that there could be a level of cringe that high, just the way it's written, the way it's directed, but his performance in it is so awful. It, it scuppers. The whole film is ruined by his ego. And that's before you get into the the badly done Skittles branding and the uh, the terribly like Lucy Liu, who I really like, being just ridiculously wooden. Like I don't think she knew how to act against the terrible, terrible monster CG that was happening. And um, I think but, she might have but, just but, not had the because, like, I found that as well. Like Lucy Liu is alternately super wooden or. Similar to to Levi, she's dialed up to about twelve in terms of trying to be like Arch, and I think that she's trying for this like cartoon thing, but it just doesn't work against the tone of the rest of the film, right? Like, yeah. 
And there's, and I really I like, same. I I really like Lucy Liu. I really do. Yeah. And I don't, I don't understand how, how I, how I don't understand. I don't understand her performance in this film. I just don't. Uh, I feel the same way about, uh, I can't say his name. Jaiman Hunsu. Help me out here. Jaiman Hunsu. Um, so he's a really good actor and his first scenes are some of the worst acted and before and directed scenes I've seen in a in a big movie tempo in ages like what does it take to get a bad performance out of this v- v- actor who has established themselves and even helen mirren does her best to save it there's one particularly great moment with helen mirren but even her performance is really flat in places um on the plus side rachel zegler is wonderful i think she's a, a really connected actress with great presence i mean she's a total theater kid and it comes across like she's got a great vibrancy in the roles she's had so far. And she does her best here as well. Um, I've mentioned I I love Grace Caroline Curry and Megan Good. I think and really I I like all of the kids and supporting kids and, and adults. They they do their best, but yeah, the supporting really, ca- the supporting cast is universe pretty much uniformly good. Yeah, I would say. But the the last I texted you, and it turns out we had the same reaction to pausing what feels like the absolute climax of the movie and finding there's another hour left and oh yeah my heart my heart <laughs> dropped like how can there be another hour of this left and it turns out there shouldn't have been another hour left it's dragged out again i am convinced zachary levi went back and had the script changed and had the shooting changed to give him more 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 hero moments and pixar moments and even in the moments of absolute peril He's, t- he's looking behind himself and making stupid fucking friends level jokes and it doesn't work at all. He doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have the delivery. He's not Nathan Fillion. He, he doesn't have that in him to do it. And uh, I'm just very, very glad that we're not going to see him as Shazam again. Like, James Gunn can be as diplomatic as he wants. We're not seeing Shazam, uh, Zachary Levi as Shazam in the DCEU again. And thank God for that, because he is just an awful, egotistic actor who uh, I I think probably uh, ruined this movie uh, more than it needed to be. Whew. Yeah, wow. Anyway. That was, uh, was quite a tear you went on. Let me just read. Yeah, so I was taking notes, because I watched this at home, so I was taking notes as I, as I watched. And... Um, uh let's just read a couple of them yeah here's one why are there 53 minutes left at what feels like the start of the climax (laughs) uh Uh, and this is my other thing is that like the film even if you put aside his performance uh zachary levi's performance for a moment the film is also just not very well written um Mm -hmm. there's two things like billy batson's whole thing through the whole movie, he has two things going on. He has one group of people saying, you're holding on too tight. Well, they're not saying it, but it's it's obvious. It's like in the text that like he is holding on too tight. He's not letting anyone do their own thing. He's not, he's trying to keep them so close and in doing so he's pushing them away. And then you have a whole group of people being like, you have no wisdom. Like one of the, the like the first letter in Shazam is for the wisdom of, of Solomon. And like multiple people tell him he does not have any wisdom. And um, only one of those things gets resolved. Uh, like, there's two of them. So neither one has the space to develop. And 
only one of them gets a real resolution. And then after it gets a resolution, there's a whole other climax of the film. Like, <laughs> like that's, that was my other problem is you were saying it feels like he, like the part of the end of the movie was rewritten to give him another, a bigger hero moment. And that feel, cause like the, he does get a hero moment at the end and it doesn't sort of fit with the rest of the movie. And you could, I mean, you can make an awkward, you can make an argument that it does fit with him, like finding wisdom but it's not the kind of wisdom they've been talking about this whole film right like mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense none of none of the story works mm-hmm. and then my other question is um so in the first one i didn't actually think this was a problem but i distinctly remember you texting me about it this is like four years ago your kids were a lot younger and i was like yeah it's a pretty good family movie and you watched it and you were like this is too scary for my kids mm-hmm. okay and i was like okay fair enough um, this movie has the same problem, but because it's, but the tonal mismatch of the fact that it's aiming, clearly aiming for children, but the monsters are terrifying, <laughs> um, and bad just to get that out of the way, but the monsters are yeah, bad. bad, but like, there's a bad. whole, there's a whole thing, a running joke through the movie with unicorns. And when, when Chekhov's unicorn finally shows up, it's nightmare fuel. Like, and it just would have been like, if you, anyone who's seen the movie, it, just imagine the scene with the unicorns, um, but make the unicorns like traditional, beautiful unicorns. And it becomes a lot better in my mind, even if you have to insert a scene of one of them being violent before they become tame. You know what, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's fun. Okay. That in that incongruence would be funnier than what we actually have, which is exactly, which is them riding demon horses into battle and it just doesn't exactly, make exactly so i'm going to interrupt you there because that is exactly what they did in the lego movie and got it absolutely perfect that that so that contrast between these are oh, the cute animals who are absolute like maniacs is far better than the terribly like the design of all the monsters is just even beyond the cg being bad it's just really bad it's really bland and there's no creativity there at all. Sorry, you can. I mean, it's also that like a big thing is that they, the bad guys want to get this seed of the tree of life and plant it to like regrow their god dimension or whatever it is, and then they do plant it on Earth, and it just immediately spawns monsters, and is totally like gross. And a few, there is a moment later on where they hand wave away what this this would be, but it like there's no warning for like it feels like parts of the script are out of order. Like mm-hmm. it feels like if you can imagine this. Imagine if someone had said, if they get the seed of the tree of life, and then someone says, tries to warn Lucy Lou, like, if you plant it on Earth with this ill intention, this is what's going to happen. And then that's what happens. That would be what, you know, maybe that's a little predictable, but that's also a functional arc of story, right? Like, if you do this, mm-hmm. this consequence will happen. And then her being like, no, I will, it'll be great. And then it actually being bad and her going like, oh, it's bad. You know, but it just happens. And then like 10 minutes later, someone just hand waves it away. It's just not a functional script. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm really frustrated because I actually really liked the first Shazam. And I think that, you know, Levine was good in the first Shazam. And I, you know, I do think he's a bit, he's an actor who has, again, he's that, that um, he has a smugness about him that I don't always like. That, for example, he was in yeah. a season of The Marvelous Ms., Mrs. Maisel and 
I generally liked him, but it definitely comes out at times in that one, and I could sort of get past it. Mm. Um, and he was in his another movie. He was in that I thought he was pretty good in. Like when it when it works for his character, I think he's good. Um, and when he's playing a child, like he does in the first one, I think it works. But when he's playing like a smug Randy teenager, like he is in this one, which again, Asher Angel is not. Um, it doesn't work at all. Anyway, that's so. How many stars are you giving Shazam? I'm going to predict one. No, so I gave Black Adam one, and I feel like the the I really like the supporting cast. I want to recognize the work that everyone around Zachary Levi actually did to match their characters with the actors, and um, I think there's enough here for me to go two stars. But those two stars are purely only for the the work of the supporting actors. And also, I, I feel like this is bad, but in a really interesting way, whereas Black Adam was bad in a really bland way. There's, there's, there's no conversation to have about Black Adam because it's exactly... Every part of that movie is exactly what you could predict at the second w- would be, and it's done in the most bland way. Um, and I think this is this is a this movie is a teachable bad, whereas Black Adam is an avoidable bad. So I'm going two stars. You know what's interesting about this to me is that just about this comparison is that generally speaking, I think that uh, Jean Collier Serra, who directed Black Adam, is generally yeah. a more interesting filmmaker than David yeah, F. Sandberg is. Totally is, yeah, yeah. And and I, I it's, it's amazing to me how how bland. Like, even he did Jungle Cruise, which is not great, but it's at least good. Mm. You know, like, it's at least fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's amazing to me how and he, I mean, maybe he just needs to stay the king of, like, character-centric B-movies. Because things like, you know, The Shallows and uh, the, uh, the Commuter are kind of great. Like, they're, they're perfect versions of what they are. And when he's let loose with a larger budget um, and a bigger scope, it doesn't seem to be working. Um but that's definitely true of David F. Sandberg as well, because David F. Sandberg yeah. has made a couple of pretty good horror movies. Um, yeah. And again, he has this much larger scope and it doesn't seem to be working for him. I will say I about wonder... Black Adam, and I know this is not a, a point, a good point for you, but I will say at least Black Adam had Pierce Brosnan being the most Pierce Brosnan and like being trying to be interesting, which would, <laughs> which would be more interesting if it's... Uh, it would be more interesting if his character wasn't just Doctor Strange in in a different colored cloak. <laughs> yeah. But um, I th- I thought he was at least having a at least he seemed like he was having a good time and nobody else. Him and um, Aldous Hodge <laughs> seemed to be having a good time and nobody else was. Yeah, I I wonder with both these directors having come from uh, a, say a more indie background, if you were like I love the Shallows as well, and it, they they uh, they've demonstrated their ability. But I wonder how much the the DC machine plus the egos of their stars, uh, they both had to try and make a film around a more visible star's ego now and have both failed. So I wonder how much the machine has kind of chewed them up as well. I would love the... I'm going to use your metaphor. I've never done this before. I would love the inside baseball <laughs> with, with like the director of uh, Black Adam and Shazam 2 just to... Get them drunk and like off the record, like, dude, come on. I know, I know you didn't get to do what you wanted to do here. How bad was it? Because I think there'd be some great stories. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. 
Um, well, just for the record, uh, I will also give this film two stars, and it is pretty much, again, similar to you. It's pretty much entirely because of the supporting cast. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a shame because my, I, again, I think, I think, I genuinely think Shazam 1 is one of the best of the DC Universe movies, one of, one of the three best of the DC Universe movies. And I, uh, I'm not, you know, after the first one, I was really excited for this one. And after this one, I'm sort of glad that they're just resetting everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it was bad. Yeah. Real bad. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's, let's move on. What? Oh, movie number two. Movie number two, which is also a movie aimed squarely at children, except in this way, in this one, it's fun. Uh, Simon, why don't you give us a lowdown <laughs> on the Super Mario Brothers movie of 2023? Well... Super Mario Brothers movie is made by Nintendo uh, uh, and uh, obviously with Illumination. Now, I want to start by saying that for me, I've been a proponent for a long time that you, Illumination should be mentioned in the same breath as Pixar. It's like Illumination are Pixar if they decided to be a bit more populist and, and less kind of picky. <laughs> like I, I really love Illumination movies. I think they've got a great um, humor to them and a great design so I was very very excited for this film and in Super Mario Brothers um, the uh, these two brothers who are plumbers Mario 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 and Luigi Mario for they are the Mario brothers um, are in Brooklyn they're very very Brooklyn uh, they're plumbers and they through a series of hilarious mistakes get sucked into the Mushroom Kingdom of the Mario video game. Now, if you've ever played the Mario video games, um, Nintendo, surprise, surprise, who are famously protective of their IPs um, since some very bad movie adaptations in the 90s, uh, are basically here to remind you um, of all the parts of all the Mario movies, uh, so Mario games that mm -hmm. you like, apart from, Mar apart from Mario Golf. This... I find this movie fascinating because basically Luigi and Mario go into various iterations of uh, the the uh, Lava Kingdom. You've got the Mushroom Kingdom. You've got a bit of Luigi's Mansion in there. You've got Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, you've got uh, even a mention of Mario Galaxy. And um, it's all absolutely laser-guided. Nintendo promoted uh, with that illumination snappiness with the the... I find this movie fascinating because I've never seen a movie that's so aggressively made to be a three-star movie. And that's the only <laughs> way I can describe it. It's like there, there, there is zero... There is one creative risk that you could maybe say, well, this is a slight creative risk. And what I love about Illumination is that they, they take many, many risks... But oh boy, have Nintendo held the reins on this one because this movie is basically a laser-guided promotional video of all the things you love about Mario, with a little bit of that illumination magic. It is an aggressively three-star movie, and this is not an insult. It is absolutely disinterested in trying to add any different elements to how Mario exists in the 3D video games. And so that's fine. You get a really good montage training. You get a really beautiful rendition. I mean, the whole thing looks gorgeous. It's brilliantly animated. Illumination are a fantastic animation company. 
The voice acting is fine, even though a couple of parts are in the wrong place. We'll talk about that later. Um, and you have a very good uh, Mario Kart Diddy Kong Racing action set piece, even though it doesn't reference Mad Max Fury Road like Moana does. It really should have. And of course, you have Rainbow Road. And then, of course, you have the final battle against Bowser, who is brilliantly voice acted by Jack Black. The only one who really tries to do a voice is Jack Black. And um, then, of course, uh, they all learn lessons. They learn about being strong. And they, uh, spoiler, they beat Bowser in the end in hilarious circumstances. And it's totally fine. Like, my kids came out. They're like, yeah, that's fine. They didn't whoop like they didn't start in um, Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> but they're like, yeah, I recognize every part of that movie. And, oh, look, it's this. And I've played that. And it's this guy. And that movie's totally fine. There's... Technically, nothing wrong with it, but it is absolutely risk-free. And that's why it's made a billion dollars worldwide, because it is it knew exactly what it was. It knew exactly how to get the audience. There is no risk here for, for families, for, for old people, young people. Everyone knows who these characters are. It is massively overperformed, and that's why we're going to get a shit ton more of them, uh, which I'm totally fine with, because they know how to make the perfect three-star movie. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't particularly disagree with anything you're saying. Um, <clears throat> I will say that there is one, there's one little twist in the film. Well, twist is the wrong word, but there's one little shift in the film <laughs> that I, I quite, I quite like, and that's that they make, they make Luigi the damsel, which is pretty evident from the trailer. <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't think it's a spoiler that right. like it's, no. it's Luigi who's been captured, not Princess Peach, and I think that that's, I mean. You're talking about like laser guided to be three stars um, and to be exactly what it is. I think that's a really good example of, you know, they're going to put in this semblance of a risk. Like it's not really a risk, but it's it's a change to the story that feels like a risk when a real when a real thing, a real thing they could have changed, for example, would be maybe don't make Bowser so horny for Peach. You know, like oh, I he's like that, <laughs> I mean. It sort of works within the film. However, he also like it's very clear that like he wants to marry Peach because he wants to bone her. And <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it doesn't have wow. to be that way. Like it's very it's like again, I'm not trying to say that it's that this, the movie is bad exactly. I'm saying that if they really wanted to take a risk, maybe they could have made him horny for Luigi, you know, like oh. take take <laughs> take an met, action. Have you met <laughs> yeah, I mean, take like so. This is the problem. This is the one problem with the film. You're not wrong. There is exactly zero real risks in it. Um, however, like if you enjoy Nintendo stuff, I mean, yeah. yes, it's thinly plotted. However, it's a tight ninety minutes and it's fun throughout. So, right, nothing like, wrong with it at all. Like, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing wrong with it at all. I'm curious. Do you think Charlie Day should have actually played? So so uh, um, I, it's so so obvious to me that Charlie Day and Keegan Michael Key should be in opposite parts. Charlie Day should have been Toad, and Keegan Michael Key should have been Luigi, because Keegan Michael Key's got a brilliant Luigi delivery anyway. And hmm. for his voice as Toad, they put his voice through a voice synthesizer to raise it so he sounds exactly like Charlie Day. And Toad's character is this hyper anxious squeaky like uh, but we're all gonna save the day anyway 
it's written for Charlie Day. It's written for his voice. And it's so obvious to me how he should have been Toad and Keegan-Michael Key should have been Luigi, but it's uh, it's fine. They're fine as their parts, but they should have been switched. I I mean, I don't, dis- exactly, I don't disagree with that take exactly. However, I wonder if it comes down to Charlie Day being like, really, you want me to be the high t- high-pitched hyper guy again? Because um, <laughs> that's, I mean, he's... I don't think he's in danger of being typecast exactly, but like that is his type, you know. Like I, yeah, I think, exactly. I, I, well. I think that there's something to be said for breaking out of your comfort zone a little bit. Anyway, oh sure, but Latote's first line is "Don't touch that one," and it's it's vocoded up to sound exactly like Charlie Day. Why not just cast Charlie Day? Uh, or, or or have Charlie Day do Luigi and Toad? See, now we're talking. <laughs> I mean. Maybe I will say there are there are a number of things that I really liked in this movie, and most of them I think um, are they're sort of I really enjoy the sort of like set dressing of Nintendo stuff. Um, mm. And if you look, at, some of it's right out front, um, but some of it like there's a scene toward the climax where there's like a wedding's about to happen, and there's a shell on a bench, and a person sits down and bumps into it, and it starts going back and forth between the side of the bench and the person. It's <laughs> There's a ton of little stuff like that in the background if you yeah. look for it. Um, oh, yeah. And I don't know what he's called, but there, what's the little glowy guy who's in the cage called? You're more familiar with him. Oh, than I am. Uh, so that's the um, that is oh god, my kids told me I can't remember. In uh, Super Mario Odyssey, the uh, mayor of Donk, New Donk City is Paulina, uh, Pauline, sorry, who was the original damsel when he was Jumpman saving the woman from Donkey Kong. It, that is her star in New Donk City. <laughs> so the whole film's full of like little things like that. But you're well, right. Anyway, the stars- there, there's, there's one like glowing ghost-like character who just shows up every once in a while to say something really terrible in a really hopeful voice. Like there's a great time where they're like, how long have you been here? And, he, and the little ghost says, time like hope is an illusion. <laughs> And at one point, like Bowser announces he's going to kill all his prisoners, and the star goes, "Finally, mercy!" Sweet <laughs> <laughs> release of death. Yeah, uh, I, I love that. That's clearly mine, and everyone else who's our age—that's their favorite character. The nihilist uh, star is the best character, and it's the only thing that approaches the illumination kind of uh, borderline adult humor with many of their uh, animated characters. Yeah, it's like it's like. like- it's like almost subversive, almost. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I also um, they let Jack Black have a song, and that was a good idea because his song is fantastic and it fits perfectly. And I kind of wish that's another singular moment of zaniness that I kind of wish Nintendo had like released the reins bits. So we could have a bit more of that, but um, it's a total earworm. Um, but uh, those are really it for. Uh, any kind of creative subversion going on, and and it's, yeah, the, whole, the whole movie is really fun. The whole, the whole it's 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 fun from front to back, and yeah, also and also it is like gorgeously animated. Yeah, uh, like everything looks amazing. There's one scene in particular toward the beginning of Bowser like walking down like a walkway. And you can see like individual scales on his legs. Like it is so gorgeous. Um, and I also just really like that, you know, a lot of a lot of movies 
a lot of movies would do the thing where like you you know the normal plumber ends up in a fantastical land and they're just like oh yeah they try to like make it a little more grounded but in this one he shows up in the magical land and princess peach is like yeah if you punch the box with a thing you get a power up and then you can throw fire <laughs> it's just it's a thing we can do here it's the thing that happens here it's fine um and i i sort of like that it goes whole like whole hog into that just being like nope you're in a video game now it's fine just to, just to, just roll with it just roll with it like yeah we have power ups that's a thing we can do it's it's pretty great and i i I don't think that's a creative choice. I mean, it is obviously a creative choice in the big C kind of way, but I just think it's an interesting choice where so many films these days would totally go the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, one one day Mario will fall into the public domain once you know once we're in the dystopian, <laughs> and at that point we're going to get like a Winnie the Pooh blood and honey style horror movie <laughs> where the Mario brothers are. Or murderers or something um but until that day that's about as creative as this franchise is going to get yeah i i yeah you're not wrong and i'm trying to make sure i don't sound negative about this film because it is a really fun film and my kids really enjoyed it and it's it does exactly what it's meant to do and i thoroughly welcome more of them because i love illumination and you're right it is out uh, there's so much detail and uh and flow and musicality to the way it's animated and there's a lot of energy to the movement as well, and it looks gorgeous. We do need to talk, though. We need to have a conversation about uh, obvious needle drops, because as you pointed out, this is now the second movie. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. I'm just going to say, if I had a nickel for every time in 2023 that a character played by Chris Pratt uh, dashed off into action, set to No Sleep from Brooklyn... I would have exactly two nickels, um, but it would still be weird that it happened twice, right? Because <laughs> that's this definitely, yeah. And there's another yeah, one too. Go on. Yeah, no, you're right. It's just, and th- there's a, a fight scene to uh, to uh, I Need a Hero, which is now the second fight scene. It happens in Shazam too, and he references it. No, am I saving you to I Need a Hero? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it happens in this as well. And I, I more for needle drops. I this might have been something I was a little. I'm starting to get a bit allergic to over obvious needle drops. And it, it Guardians Three was not uh, was not innocent of that either. And uh, I would like a bit more originality, but with the needle drops. But this is very much a, a specific me thing. I think. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a question of execution because I think that, I think I Need a Hero is actually a a perfectly fine song to set an action, early action scene to in a movie like both of these. Um, But then when you have a character and your Zachary Levi uh, impersonation is spot on, might I say. Um, uh, But when you have a character who like awkwardly like, oh my God, this song, amazing. Like, uh, and it's, I think even that was better delivery than was in the movie. And uh, I'm just saying that, like, when it works, it works, and when it doesn't, it really doesn't. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it with a song with a with an obvious drop like that, it is something that um, it's a difficult needle to thread, I think. And I think it's, uh, I would say that both of those, I would say that the No Sleep Till Brooklyn one is probably better in Guardians, um, but I think it's actually appropriate in Mario, and the I Need a Hero sequence is far more appropriate. Than it is in Shazam, so uh, I don't yeah. know. I feel I feel like again, there's 
That's just what we said at the start. There's nothing wrong with this movie. There's it's totally no, fine. Already is, yeah. It's, here, if this if we if we sound at all negative, take this information away. It became available on demand here in Canada this week. And I did the thing that I always do, which is because I don't generally pirate movies uh, anymore because uh, there's a whole conversation about piracy we should have on a different show. But um, I don't do it anymore. Uh, and so in Canada, when a movie is freshly on demand before it's like streaming or available in physical, you have a choice. You can buy it for 30 or you can rent it for 25. And most of the time when a movie like this comes up, we sort of I hum and I haw and a lot of the time I'm like, well, it's only five extra dollars. And sometimes I'm like, oh, five extra dollars at the end. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that was totally worth it. And this is one of the times where I pay the 30 and it was totally worth it. I will definitely watch this film again. So, and like, honestly, even if I only have it for like when your kids come over or, you know, my nephews come <laughs> over or whatever, that would also be fine because it's a movie I'm totally fine to just put on in front of them. But it's also just a fun movie. So uh, I, I don't regret having purchased it. So do with that information a, what you will. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for a film intentionally being made suitable for all ages. And I don't just mean good for kids. I mean, this is a movie adults can enjoy too, especially people our age who... If you've played a video game and you're in your 40s, you you know, you have a knowledge base of who these characters are. And it is very, very faithful to that knowledge base. It's not like the live action movie that completely went off on its own tangent. Um, it is very, very faithful. And it's really, really fun. It's a very easy watch. Um, so you could do a lot worse than, than watching the film. It's a tight, again, it's like a tight 92 minutes. So Yeah. Yeah. At no point did I paused this movie and wondered to myself how is there an hour left <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah god god it was Shazam 2 is just awful but <laughs> the, the um that what I'm really happy about this film is that we're going to get more of them and I I love their approach to it I know I, I'm trying not to sound too negative about it because I really enjoyed it it's really really fun and I think it's wholly successful in what it tries to do which is be a movie, a three-star movie for everyone. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Now, when they make the next one, I'll be very curious, because at the end, when they don't know where Princess Peach has gone, and she says, who knows? And he says, ah, maybe you're... That's my Brooklyn voice. Maybe you're from Earth. <laughs> and she says, I don't know. There are a lot of galaxies out there. <laughs> the next movie is going to be Super Mario Galaxy. And... That is a visually stunning video game, and I'm sure they are going to blow that out of the park. And the great thing about Super Mario Galaxy is that you had infinite pockets of biomes all slightly different. So you've now got that multiverse style that's jumped between these wildly different environments. So uh, I think it's a win if they just take the same approach. The next movie's already going to be a win, isn't it? And now... Although there's a... There's a there's a post credit scene in this movie that's an obvious callback to, for those of you who have actually watched it, 1998's American Godzilla film. And, <laughs> and honestly, I, part of me, as, as, a, as a, we talked about this before, it can be fascinating to watch bad movies and learn from them. I kind of hope they run with that a little bit. <laughs> God, that would be amazing. Yeah. Like a, like a kaiju Yoshi. That would be incredible. But um, yeah, I mean, they won't. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I, part of me 
would be curious and maybe want them to maybe be a bit more obtuse, maybe a bit more uh, out there, but I don't care. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be fun and it's coming. So we might as well. Oh yeah. (laughs) Just let me, let me agree with you. And I don't think that there's anything wrong uh, with, uh, you know, to put it in baseball terms, like not every film is going to be a home run, um, (laughs) but it's, you know, a double right up the middle is totally fine. Right. Absolutely. I totally, it's exactly what I thought. This is like a half run around the diamond and the ball is, <laughs> the, ball, the ball is in the court of the outfield and some, they're going to throw it back, but they're safely on like second base. And that's great because they've loaded the bases for the sequel. I mean, it puts the runner in scoring position for sure. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, and the umpire's there and he's smiling and everyone's happy. I do love that you picked up a lot of baseball from me, but none of the terminology whatsoever. I totally love that you seem to understand the game now, but don't know how to talk yeah. about it. I, absolutely. I, I sound like you've asked chat GPT to describe baseball. That's how I talk about baseball. Like it's, a, it's an AI kind of talking about it, but in the wrong way. That's fine. I yeah. enjoy it in my own little way. So how many stars are you giving Super Mario Brothers movie? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a shock to anyone to find out I'm giving it <laughs> three stars. Yes, and uh, I am also going to give it three whole stars, three power-up stars that are going to make you feel invincible with happiness when you watch it. Or something. That's or something like that. The end of this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's good. I like it more, please. But I... I uh, it's a different conversation. Do you know that Seth Rogen refused to do a voice when he was hired for this? And he said this in interviews when he was hired for Donkey Kong. He said, well, I'm not going to do a voice. I don't do voices. It's my voice or, or that's it. I'm going to do my voice. And uh, I would like voice actors to kind of understand that they should be a bit more dynamic with their performance. But anyway, that's a tiny, that's a tiny little point. Uh, Jack Black was great. Yeah, but to to your point, I would like Jack Black's voice has obviously been put through some kind of synthesizers, like Keegan Michael Keys has as well. See, I was I was and, wondering about that because he sounds so gruff. It might that might and, actually just be him being a gruff voice, though. And, and I will say that you know, I think you don't with some, when you hire someone who has as distinct a voice as Seth Rogen. Why would you ask mm. them to change it? You're hiring them for <laughs> that voice. You're hiring them. You're you're hiring him for that goofy laugh, right? Like I don't like. Why would you hire Seth Rogen and be like, by the way, change yourself entirely for this kid? Like, no, no. <laughs> you're hiring Seth Rogen to sound like Seth Rogen. That makes sense to me. That's that's fair. They probably wrote the Donkey Kong lines with his laugh in mind, didn't they? So yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, certainly, if they didn't at first, as soon as they hired him, like we got Seth Rogen. Oh, let's put some yeah, some of this stuff in. You know, like how can we, how can we work in a veiled reference to marijuana? Can we? Can we this time, or we have to wait for the sequel? You know. Uh, yeah. Um, good. Well, yes. Go, go watch this movie, or it's on demand. Stay at home, watch this movie. Get some popcorn. You'll yeah. have fun. Yeah, exactly. Good. Well, I think that's uh, that's clearly where we're going to wrap it up for today. So, if you are new here, thank you for listening. And if you're not new here, thank you for listening. We love everybody. If you, um. 
have liked the show, if you like what you hear, you can, of course, support us. We have a Patreon and a Kofi, and both of those will be in the show notes. Uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber at any tier, you do get our bonus conversations, um, which vary in length from like 15 to 25 minutes, depending on the week. Uh, and this week's in particular was all about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So um, go and enjoy that. The subscriptions start at as low as $2 a month. Um, I know, right? Such a bargain. If uh, if you uh, you can also support us just by giving us a five star rating on your podcasting platform of choice, subscribe, share with your friends, you know, help us get into the charts uh, with those actions. That's actually also immeasurably helpful. Um, you can find us and the show on the social medias, uh, mostly Twitter and Instagram, but you can find me at SmatthewAF on both. You can find the show at AwesomeFridayCA on both, and you can find Simon on Twitter at TemporaryPen. Uh, we are in Vancouver and record this on the unceded ancestral lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. Uh, one last time, thank you everyone so much for listening and joining us on this Awesome Friday. Bye.